Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. This week's Shabbat message is on Passover. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Feel free to check out our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages as well as uh, my dad's blog posts. You can subscribe to those in the subscribe bar with your email. You can also subscribe to our um, messages on your favorite podcast provider, iTunes, whatever else. And you can also find links on our website to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does Okay, so Shabbat Shalom, if you want to go, like I said, Exodus chapter 12. What I want to do today is um, uh, <coughs> read a little bit of, of the first Passover, and then where I actually want to spend most of our time is up, time is up in Chronicles. I want to read about two different Passovers that took place with King Hezekiah and King Josiah, because... Um, what I like about those two passages, as we're, as we're going to see when we get into them, is they, they, they very much are, granted they were kings of Israel, but, or Judah, but they were in very much a similar position as we are now where they were living in essentially an apostate community where no one was serving and obeying God. And they had a change of heart, which then resulted in a change in their their actions, they rebuilt the temple. Uh, as we're going to read, I think it was Hezekiah, they find the book of the law, and they read it, and they realize, oh man, we need to change, and we need to get back to obeying God and doing what's right, and that includes the Passover. And so they celebrate it. There's only actually a few recorded times in the Bible of them keeping the Passover. One was with, with here, and um, another one was with Joshua when they get into the land, and then Hezekiah and Josiah. So there's not too too many times. So it kind of makes you realize how how much of a mess Israel was, which is a perfect picture of how much of a mess, you know, God's people, air quotes, are today and how but how God is uh, drawing us back to him to serve and obey him. So and restoring these festivals and pulling out of a, us out of our old um, mixture of practices that um, you know, unfortunately, have 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 gotten a foothold within, you know, the quote unquote believing community. So, let's pray, and then we'll kind of get into this a little bit. Um, and yeah, we'll go through it. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Shabbat. I thank you for this 14th day of the month of Aviv. And as we lead into Passover this evening, I just pray that you would just uh, teach us in our hearts and our minds and and um, that we might uh, live for you. And uh, as we tend to say at the end of every Passover Seder next year in Jerusalem, I pray that we would be able to celebrate soon with, with you on the throne in Jerusalem. So bring all these things to pass. And in the meantime, help us just to serve and obey you and do what's right. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. The other thing I want to, uh, as I was thinking about all this, I wanted to point out too is that you know, as you're doing your Passover Seder, if you're doing one tonight or you did it last night or whenever you did it, I don't 
really care. Remember that it's, it's really a, 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 a memorial or a, um, right? What am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, remembrance or a rehearsal of Passover. Technically, we're not really celebrating Passover. To celebrate Passover in all technicality, you need to go to Jerusalem and you need a temple with priests. because, And you need a lamb without blemish of a firstborn. So what we're doing is having a memory of it. And so don't get too hung up. This is just Luke speaking, but don't get too hung up on everything, basically. You know, we're trying the best we can in the diaspora within our situation to pull ourselves out of the pagan culture in which we have been immersed and come back to God's ways as much as we can. And so I'm not belittling Passover at all, but, but my point is to don't think that we have it all figured out and settled and that, oh, we finally arrived and figured it all out. It's like, well, no, we're just like one step further than we were before, ultimately, because technically um, Passover is one of the three pilgrimage festivals in which all the males of Israel are supposed to go up to Jerusalem. And so, you know, if you want to get real hardcore, you should all be hopping on a plane. So, and as you can tell, I am not in Israel right now. So, one day, hopefully that will be the case, and then we will all be able to gather for those three pilgrimage festivals in Israel. But in the meantime, um, we do the best we can. So, you know, things like eating your Passover meal tonight, if you don't eat it all, you don't have to burn it or anything like that. You know, it's so, you know, that's just my opinion. If you want to burn it, go for it. But so, and, uh, and, and, you know, getting the leaven out of your house and all that stuff is, is really important. What I love about it and the beauty for it, for it of it for me is, is to be able to attach myself to Israel. It, it made, for me, when we first started celebrating Passover, because it was one of the first things we did, it made it all real. I, I don't know how exactly to explain it other than that, but that I felt like, wow, I'm actually a part of what the Bible talks about. You know, I have a, an inheritance and a community and a culture now that I can read about and hold in my hands and that my biblical forefathers have done before me. Um, and, and Yeshua did. And so, you know, that sense of attachment was, was so awesome. And then to be able to raise my kids this way, for them to be able to walk in this and to live it out and have it be their life and their culture and their attachment. Um, I mean, to me, it's just so powerful and so amazing. And so, um, you know, it's a fulfilling of prophecy as God has, is turning back the hearts of the fathers of the children, the children of the fathers. So, um, it's a wonderful thing. So let's get into this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so recap a little bit there. This is at the end of all the plagues. So we've had all the, the 10 plagues and um, God's telling them, you know, you're get ready because you're going to be leaving. You're going to be going out of, of uh, um, you're going to be going out of Egypt. And the term Passover is what, is, is, is really a term for the act that God took, basically, because he passed over the children of Israel and didn't kill their sons, whereas the, the children of Egypt, their son, firstborn, were killed. So that, that act of God passing over. And the lamb, technically, 
We say that we eat Passover or today's Passover. Well, it's technically not. The lamb, that lamb is the Passover because that lamb is in substitution for the firstborn or the children of Israel for Israel and, and, and takes that death upon itself instead of, instead of us, basically. And so God passes over them. That's all making sense. We, we get semantics are somewhat important when you start, you know, looking at the festivals and calendars and all that thing. And, um, and so the way that we use our language is important as it relates to the Bible. We need to use the Bible's definitions of things, not what things have traditionally been called. So all that for is, is free extra information. All right, chapter 12. Yehovah spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak, that's why, so this Aviv, two weeks ago when we cited the new moon, that's why this is the first month of the year. Three, speak unto the children of Israel, congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to, their, uh, take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the land, let him and his neighbor next unto him, uh, unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and it shall be out of the sheep or from the goats. So, um, real quickly, that's why, per, um, whenever it was, years ago now, we switched from a congregational type Passover where we'd have, you know, 100 plus people to having it in your own home with your neighbor or few, maybe your neighbor if you actually have a neighbor that keeps Passover or, um, or somebody else in the congregation or something. But more of that in-home intimate type of setting because that's the biblical model, basically. I don't believe the, the biblical model is not, you know, have 250 people and rent out a hall to have Passover. So, I mean, whatever. I guess if you want to do that, go for it. But th that's why we kind of made the switch that we did, so... 6. And ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So there's your stipulations of what you're supposed to have. Bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and the lamb is, is what you're supposed to eat it with. Uh, you know, the, the Seder plate with the egg and the bone and the parsley and horseradish. And although I like doing horseradish, technically, it's not a bitter herb. You know, I like making everybody eat some horseradish because, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's good. So, um, but technically that's not the bitter herb. So if you want to get real technically, all you need is unleavened bread, bitter herbs and, and lamb. So. A lot of that stuff was just added later on to be able to tell the story. If you like that, fine. It's, you know, but like I said before, don't, don't get hung up on it, you know. So, um, where were you? Nine, eat it not raw, nor sodden it with water, but roast it with fire. 
his heads with his legs and with the appurtenance thereof. You shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth until the morning you shall burn with fire. Thus you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is Yehovah's Passover. So there you go. It's, it's the Lord's Passover, that lamb. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and shall smite this firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgment. I am Yehovah. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast, Yehovah, throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So, obviously, Passover didn't magically go away after Yeshua came and died and rose again. 16. In the first day there shall be a holy convocation. In the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, only may be done of you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Wherefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever? In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall... There be no leaven found in your house, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether you be a stranger or born in the land. Shall he eat nothing leavened in all your habitations, shall ye eat unleavened bread. So he makes a big point about not eating leaven, because when they were leaving Egypt, they didn't have time for the bread to rise, and they bound up their kneading bowls and their, and their clothes, and they ran out, because back in the day, if you wanted bread that would rise. You couldn't go buy a yeast packet down at the grocery store. You had to naturally let have a, a starter, basically. And so if you lose your starter, you're not going to have leavened bread for at least uh, a week, probably close, probably closer to two weeks, really. So, um, so for that week of unleavened bread, it's a memorial of, you know, when they left Egypt and they had no leavened bread. And um, again, to kind of get a little particular, Passover is the lamb. It's, it's not a day per se. It's at the end of the 14th day of the month, you eat the Passover. At sunset, that starts the 15th day, that is the first day of unleavened bread. And the week of unleavened bread goes seven days. And the first, and the first day of unleavened bread and the last day of unleavened bread are holy convocations. You're not, they're kind of like a Sabbath. You're not supposed to work. So that's uh, the per particulars on that. And let's see here, where were we? Uh, 21. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said, Draw out and take a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall dip a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, strike the lintel on the two side posts with the blood that's in the basin. <clears throat> and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For Yehovah will pass through and smite the Egyptians when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and the two side posts. Yehovah will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto the house to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you come to the land which Yehovah will give you according as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It's Yehovah, it's the sacrifice of Yehovah's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So let's see here. So basically, 
the Passover happens, the firstborn are dead. They're like, we're all going to die. And so they kick them out and they leave. And um, so let's see here. Let's jump down to 43, verse 43. Uh, and Yehovah said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is brought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten, and thou shalt not carry it forth out of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel will keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover of Jehovah, let all his males be circumcised, and let them come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as Jehovah commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass that selfsame day that the Yehovah did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their army. So I wanted to highlight that because it talks about how if someone is a stranger or a sojourner who wanted to keep the Passover, um, they had to be all their males had to be circumcised, and and then they could eat the Passover because there was one law for uh, the stranger and the homeborn, no matter who you were. So. You know, if you ever wanted to say there was a quote-unquote conversion ceremony, this is it. Basically, if you want to be a member of the children of Israel, uh, because what marked them as the children of Israel is God brought them out of Egypt. And so if you want to partake in that and be numbered among them, you would therefore partake among the Passover, which is one of the primary holidays of Israel, right? But in order to do that, you have to be circumcised. And so you become born again, as it were, and created anew, and now you are adopted into the family of Israel, and you partake of it, and, and now you are, uh, you've, you've immigrated, right? And you keep the laws and the ordinances of the nation of Israel. So, um, you know, yeah, if, if ever there were a quote-unquote conversion ceremony, that would be it. And now, let's go to... Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter Actually, I take that back. We're going to start in 29. Okay, we'll read a little bit in 29. So, so we're at where this is the reign of Hezekiah. Um, he was 25 years old when he starts to reign. And, you know, if you read through Chronicles at all, or the books of the kings, you read how Israel kind of is an up and down mess as far as their obedience to God. And they... They get attacked when they're being a disobedient, and then God blesses them, and they prosper when they're being obedient. So Hezekiah is one of the good guys, and he's a good king, so we'll read a little bit about him. So 29, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. And Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned nine and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. 
He did that which was right in the sight of Jehovah, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of Jehovah and repaired them. So one of the first things you see in a king that's good is they rebuild the temple, basically. Anytime that Israel has fallen away from God and they're being disobedient and they're being wicked and transgressing, the temple always falls into disrepair. It falls apart. There's all kinds of problems. And part of that is because the nation of Israel functions much like a body, okay? So if, if all the body, all the people are healthy, all are doing what they should, their sacrifices and their first fruits of their grain and their income and all these things come into the temple, which maintains the, the temple in just its maintenance, obviously, of the building and whatnot, but also the priests and the Levites who work there. And so if the priests and the Levites who work there and do everything are able to sustain themselves off what the people bring in, they can do their jobs. But if they don't, everything falls apart. The priests and the Levites, they got to feed their families too. And so they go out, find jobs, whatever. And then they don't serve and keep the temple up and running. And so the temple itself starts to fall in disrepair. And it is like a microcosm picture of the national, the state of the national, the national state of Israel and what's going on there. So we find out that the first thing he does in the first month of his reign is he opens the doors of the house of Jehovah and he prepares them. And he brought the priests and Levites, verse 4, and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear ye, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, sanctify the house of Jehovah, God of your fathers. Carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of Jehovah our God, and have forsaken him, and turned away their faces from the habitation of Jehovah, and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of Jehovah was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the God of Israel, with Yehovah, God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. So, um, um, bum, 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 bum. so they clean everything. They clean up the house. And um, then we get to, where do I want to go? So they sanctify it. And then... Um, Let's go to chapter um, 30. So Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh. So remember at this time, you know, you have a split in the northern kingdoms, but he's trying to say, hey, you guys up in the north, come down. That they should come to the house of Jehovah Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto Jehovah God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation of Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. So what I didn't read is that they weren't able to keep it in the first month because the temple wasn't clean. It wasn't purified yet. They weren't ready. But the Torah states, because if you go back, that if you're unclean, if you are, say, a relative died on the 13th of the month and you got to bury him, well, you're unclean and you don't have time to get clean, to be able to go into the temple to do Passover. 
so you could celebrate it the next month, a month later. And so that's what they're doing here is they're celebrating it a month later because things aren't clean. But he says, hey, you, everybody up north, come down and keep this. Three, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together at Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to proclaim, to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even unto Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover in Jehovah, God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So the posts went out with letters from the king and the, his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the command of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto Jehovah God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. Be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against Jehovah God of your fathers, and wherefore gave you up to desolation as you see now. Now be ye not stick-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto God and enter Jehovah and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve Jehovah your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. I mean, this is such powerful stuff because they're being attacked by the Syrian kingdom up north, and he's saying, hey, your lack of obedience in keeping the Passover and obeying God is a direct result of your being exiled and you're being attacked by our nation's enemies. And so it is today. I mean, gosh, it just drives me crazy that we forget, and, and most of quote-unquote God's people, air quotes using that very term, they don't, we, they don't realize that they're in exile. We are under foreign rule and the foreign kingdom not able to live out God's word, how we're intended to. We think, we think we're, you know, we're in God's land and we're blessed and everything's good and golden and we can just live our lives hunky-dory, um, forgetting that, no, this isn't where we're supposed to be. And so in the, what, what's so cool about what's happening now, though, is some of the remnant, like he talked about, of the people are turning back to God and coming back to his ways as he was restoring the hearts of the fathers of the children and so that um, redemption can happen again. So, nine, let's see here. For if you turn again to the Yehovah, your brethren, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them and lead that lead them captive so that they shall come again unto this land. For Yehovah your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. So the posts passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim, Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nah, does that ever happen to you again? Hey, I want to celebrate. You guys want to come? Ah, ah, whatever. You know, no. So not much has changed. Nevertheless, the verse of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves, right? Because that's what has to happen. To change, as you all know, from our past way of life and living, you have to eat a whole bunch of humble pie and realize, dang, I've been doing it all wrong for a long time and I need to turn back. So they humbled themselves. 12. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of God. And there were assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem. And all the altars of incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. 
And they killed the Passover in the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in burnt offerings unto the house of Yehovah. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. And the priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of killing of the Passover for everyone that was not clean, to sanctify them unto Yehovah. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But, this is so cool, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Yehovah, pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God, in Yehovah, God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Yehovah hearkened unto Hezekiah and healed the people. I just think that's so cool. Just so cool. So here you got those from the northern kingdom. Maybe they didn't hear about it in time, but they wanted to come down. They wanted to partake of the Passover. They wanted to be a part of it, but they weren't cleansed yet. And so they didn't go into the temple to pre-sacrifice the lamb for them, but they ate of it, which they still weren't supposed to do. But Hezekiah prays for them and says, God, you know the hearts of these people. They have chosen to turn back, to serve you, to do what's right. Yes, they're not cleansed, but have mercy on them, basically. And God does. Like, I think that's so cool. And I think, I think God has a, a heck of a lot of mercy on us because we're not doing anything right either. I mean, we're trying, you know, we're doing the best we can. And so that's why... I've chilled out a whole bunch, basically. Who was I talking to about this? Rob Guptill. And uh, um, telling him, you know, through the years, whatever this is, uh, probably our 12th or 13th, 12th year, I think we've been doing passing over now. And I've chilled out a whole bunch. It used to be like, oh, it's got to be this is that way. You know, you're not, it's wrong. And, and, but the reality is, like I talked about, you know, we're doing the best we can and it's a learning process and God is slowly pulling us out because we've been living in, in, in Babylon for 2,000 years and so we're trying to reprogram ourselves and learn and try to slowly get back there and we're unclean but God knows that and I think he has some mercy on us because we can't do a whole lot more to be perfectly honest. And so... I'm not saying all that as a rubber stamp, get out of jail free card. We need to be honest with ourselves and what our, our state, which only you can see inside yourself is. But I just think it's awesome that God, you know, Hezekiah prays for them and he heals them, which is interesting. He heals them. I don't know. That's interesting. 21, and the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness, and the Levites and the priests Praise Yehovah day by day, singing with loud instruments unto Yehovah. And Hezekiah spoke comfortably to all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of Yehovah. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days and offering peace offerings, making confession to Yehovah God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep another seven days. And they kept another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation 1,000 bullocks, 7,000 sheep. The princes gave to the congregation 1,000 bullocks and 10,000 sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And all the congregation of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel that dwelt in Judah, rejoiced. For so there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not like in Jerusalem." 
Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and the voice was heard, and the prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. Woohoo! <laughs> I think that's just freaking awesome. It's so good. All right, we're not done yet. Chapter 35. So keep in mind, you know, this, everything that happens corporately with Israel and is, is also what happens individually with us. There has to be a change of heart, which then predicates change in your life, which then cleans up the sanctuary, the temple, uh, service to God is restored. And then because of that, um, exile is turned back. The land produces fruit. And, and, and everything works the way it's supposed to work. But you can't, you can't do it out of order. Um, you know, there's, there's within, within the quote-unquote Christian world, again, big broad air quotes, there's kind of a, a popular move to uh, have Passover seders. You know, which that, on one level, I think that's fine and that's great. I mean... Actually, growing up in our church, we had a, a Jewish guy come, and he did a Passover Seder, and, and it was really cool. It was really cool. It was a very memorable experience, but I was still disconnected in my mind, in my understanding that, that this was something for me, that I was part of Israel, and that this is my, these are my holidays. It was well, cool, this Jewish guy is coming, and that's, that's a Jewish thing that was back then, and neat. You know, it's, like, it's, like, it's a novelty, you know, it's like watching a stage show. And so they're, they're, this is taking place now, and it's becoming popular in vogue, as I think, and I think it's sinister on, on probably some levels, where those who are, you know, fleecing the flock and preying on God's people who are ignorant and should be leading them and teaching them and causing them to turn back to his word and his ways are using them. And so they need some new, cool, flashy, informational tidbit to be able to pull all over their eyes. And so, well, Passover is a pretty neat thing. And so they'll have Passover seders uh, in their congregations, or they'll talk about putting a mezuzah on your doorpost. And they're, they're, they're stealing, I, uh, maybe not, I don't know. But they're taking these things that God has given to his people as a heritage and as everything that, that teaches us about him, and they're using it for gain. And uh, I hate that stuff. And so where am I going with that? I don't know. But anyways, that's happening to some degree. So my point is this isn't, this isn't a cool novelty. This isn't a fun thing that we're just doing because, you know, like, well, like you'd go and, you know, join in Cinco de Mayo, even though we're not from Mexico. You know, that's a poor example, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and make it just an excuse to drink. <laughs> so, um, oh, that's what I was talking about. You, you, the order of things. You, something has to happen in your heart first. You can't just throw on the dash of salt and pepper novelty of Passover to what you're doing that is not what the Bible tells you. And, and be good before God, you know. It's, there has to be real change that takes place. That's why they had to humble themselves. 
you know, now it, it, that's, that's the other thing. It's like back, back in the day when they were in Israel, it's like you wanted to keep the Passover, you had to schlep yourself down to Jerusalem. So nowadays, you know, we, we've, we've made it easy where you can just have a Seder and, and rubber stamp yourself. And that's why I say it's important for us to remember, remember, remember what we're doing is just commemorative. It's not really Passover. This is not the end-all be-all. I mean, in ways, the festivals are bittersweet to me because, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome and I'm connected with Israel and it's so cool to get to have a Passover Seder and finally feel like, I hate that word, feel, feel how I feel. It doesn't matter how I feel, but you know what I mean. But feel, feel attached to something and be a part of what's actually biblical and come out of our old ways. But, but it's tinged with a little bit of bitterness because we're not yet there. You know, it's not as it should be. And the rest of the world needs to know this. And, and those who call themselves after the God of Israel need to come into this. So anyways, I'm blathering on. Let's just read here. Chapter 35. Moreover, Josiah, one of the kings of Judah, he, uh, uh, this is right before um, Jerusalem falls. It's, what he's, it's him and then the next king goes into captivity or two, two kings after him, something like that, pretty close. But it's very shortly after him that Babylon comes in, they burn the temple down, they take all of the, everything out of the temple, and they take it to Babylon, and uh, Judah falls. So it's a terrible time. But there's this, like, little flicker right before all that happens in 35. Moreover, Josiah kept the Passover unto Yehovah in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their charge and encouraged them to the service of the house of Yehovah. Oh, I wanted to back up, actually. <sighs> Let's back up to 34. I'm sorry. So 34, he's eight years old when he gets onto the throne. And he walks after uh, David, his father. Verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the cardinals and the molten vintages. And he broke down the altars of Baalim. So he's, he's getting rid of idolatry. He's cleaning these things up. But nature abhors a vacuum, so you've got to fill it with something. So, um, ba -ba 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 -ba. okay, 14. So now they're cleaning up the temple. Uh, 34, 14. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of Yehovah, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of Yehovah given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I found a book of the law of the house in the house of Yehovah. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they gathered together the money that was found in the house of Yehovah and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers, into the hand of the workmen, because they're cleaning up the temple, they're fixing it. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. Blah! I mean, you know, that needs to be the people of God's reaction. You know, we need to be broken that we're not doing what we should be. When the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam 
the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, the Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, a bunch of other guys. And he says, 21, go and acquire of Yehovah for me, for them that are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that's found. For great is the wrath of Yehovah that's poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of this book to do after all that is written in the book. It's the same thing for us. There's great wrath held up for us because we have not, we're not keeping the words of the book. And Hilkiah uh, and they that the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of a bunch of other people. She dwelt at Jerusalem. They spake to her of that effect. 30, 23. And she answered to them, Thus saith the Yahweh God of Israel, Tell the man that sent me to you, that sent you to me. Thus saith Yahweh, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to the other God, and they have provoked me to anger with all their works of their hands. Wherefore, my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And as far as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of Yahweh, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender. So there's that heart again, right? And just like in Hezekiah, God healed the people because they had the heart to serve him. Because your heart was tender, tender and thou did humble, there's that humble pie, thyself before God, when thou heardest the words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humbled thyself before me, and did rend thy clothes, and wept before me, I have even heard thee also, saith Yehovah, both Behold, I will gather to thee thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to the grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place, upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought word again to the king. So they read all the book, and he says, tells the people, all right, well, this is what we're doing. We're going to obey now. So, 35. <laughs> Moreover, Josiah kept the Passover unto Yehovah, Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day. Um... Of the, of the first month. So let's see here. I don't know that we'll read all of this. So he's saying to the people, you know, prepare yourselves in the house of your fathers. And he's telling to the, past, the priests to get their act together. Um, six, so, the, so kill the Passover. Sanctify yourselves. Prepare your brethren that they may do according to the word of Yehovah by the hand of Moses and Josiah gave to the people the flocks, lambs, kids for Passover offerings and for all that were present to number 30,000 and 300,000, 3,000 bullocks. These were the king's substance. And they gave willingly to the people and a whole bunch of animals. They killed the Passover in 11. They killed the Passover and the priests sprinkled the blood from their hands and the Levites fleed them. And they removed the burnt offerings and they might give according to the division of families the people to offer Yahweh as it's written in the book of Moses. So they did the oxen. And um, da -da, let's go down here. 16. So all the service of Yahweh was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings upon the altar of Yahweh according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. And there was no Passover like that, uh, like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of 
Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. So, goes on, he eventually dies, and Israel falls, or, or Judah falls to Babylon. So, you have this, you know, kind of beautiful thing that is uh, somewhat short-lived. But, my, but, but I wanted to highlight that my whole point when this all was, their hearts were changed, they were humbled, and then they took action to clean up the house of God and to prepare to be able to keep the Passover, that memorial of God delivering his people out of bondage, out of slavery, to sin, to slavery, to the world, to become his people, his firstborn. You know, it's that uh, Passover, that lamb, which is a picture of Yeshua. That's why, that's why Paul and the writers in the New Testament talk about Yeshua being our Passover lamb and why he was our Passover lamb, because he's the only one, God himself, that can substitute ultimately for mankind, for those who trust and believe in him, because we're all separated from God by death. You can't get back into the Garden of Eden because there's a flaming Jerob there. So the only one who can is Yeshua, and you got to be in him. you got to be part of his family. And um, so, you know, it takes a perfect sacrifice. So when you start to see these patterns and these things come together, you know, for me, I felt so robbed that I hadn't been taught all this. It's like, okay, cool, yeah, I know, I'm a sinner, and Jesus died for me because God's perfect. But that's like, that's like telling somebody, um, um, that's like telling somebody e, e equals mc squared. You, you have, you know, the end product, you know. Mass can be turned into energy, and energy can be turned into mass. You know, it's like telling someone that, but but you have none of the comparative foundation and the education of what makes that so incredible. So you're missing something, and when you don't grasp it, and you don't, and you're missing the context of everything, and and worse, you're not even part of those people. You know, where does that leave you? Lost. And so that's where I, so many people are. And so, you know, I'm so thankful that we are, you know, God is drawing us back unto him. And it starts in the heart. And then you eat some humble pie and then you change your life. And everything's peaches and cream, right? No, you know, that's just the beginning. And it really gets hard and fun. So I hope as you guys have or do celebrate Passover that, um, it'll be meaningful, but that you keep in mind, you know, this is not the be-all, end-all, and that this is just a process, And but that we thank God and rejoice in Him for what He has done for us, that individually He has redeemed us out of this world system, and we can stand right before God in Yeshua because He has taken our place, and so we can get out of Egypt. So let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank You for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for Passover and this wonderful story and how it just tells of your mercy and your truth and your justice and your faithfulness to your people. And I pray that you would return soon, quickly sit upon the throne and that we would celebrate with you soon. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey, mighty one.
Oh, oh.